Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of What the Dementia by Bamboo Care. I'm your host, Brianna Wilson. I am a certified dementia practitioner and the founder of Bamboo Care. So before we get started, I have a very special announcement, okay? So, What the Dementia podcast has actually been ranked as one of the top 25 dementia podcasts you must follow in 2020 by Feedspot. And so right now we hold spot number nine, which is actually pretty good, seeing as that we just started this podcast at the beginning of the year. So I'm very proud of how What the Dementia has been growing and that it has slowly but surely been getting more and more attention. So if you're enjoying our podcast so far, please be sure to leave us a review, a rating, or a comment, and share with others that you think may enjoy What the Dementia as well, okay? So if you're interested in seeing what other dementia podcasts have been featured in Feedspot's top 25 list, I have included the link in the podcast notes, okay? So today's episode is a special episode, at least in my opinion, and it was actually inspired by a post that I ran into while on social media. And it was a caregiver asking about using restraints for nighttime use as a way to reduce fall risk wanting to know what restraints others recommended. And, you know, if I'm being quite honest, I found it quite concerning how many people had restraint recommendations. Kind of scary. Now, there are physical, psychological, and chemical restraints. However, for this episode, we'll be focusing on physical restraints. So physical restraints are any type of device or practice that would restrict a person's movement. So for those of you who maybe aren't familiar with what common physical restraints could be, it could be things like lap belts or waist straps, bed rails, bed straps, wrist or ankle straps, mittens, tightly tucked sheets, or like creating an enclosure around them, things like that. Now, even though restraints are actually recommended to be used as a last resort measure, they are often both overused and inappropriately used, unfortunately. So restraints should definitely, definitely never be used as like a punishment or just for convenience sakes. But this is what sometimes happens. And so it's important that you understand that Restraints can be fairly ineffective depending on what's going on, and they can also be ultimately harmful. So people who are restrained are at an increased risk for injury such as bruises, cuts, entrapment, strangulation, suffocation, even death. And they're also at increased risk for things like poor circulation, heart stress, incontinence, muscle weakness, infections like pneumonia, skin breakdown like pressure ulcers, reduced appetite, behavioral changes, social isolation and depression, among other things. And these are all obviously things that we don't want, right? Things that we wouldn't want for ourselves and hopefully things that we wouldn't want for our partner as well. Now let's talk about who is at most risk for being physically restrained. So people who have had like a history of falling or have impaired mobility, people who have multiple debilitating conditions, those who have cognitive impairments or physical impairments, people who have psychiatric conditions, or 
those who have had like recent surgical procedures and they're trying to keep people from, you know, messing up the surgery or people who have like an IV line in or a PEG tube or an NG tube or like a catheter or maybe they're on like a mechanical vent, things like that. So for this particular podcast episode, we'll be focusing on using physical restraints for people with cognitive impairments and who have history of falling or impaired mobility. So many people believe that people with dementia or just people who are older should be restrained because they are more likely to fall or injure themselves. However, I want you to be sure that you understand that studies actually show that the incidence of falls or like fall-related injuries actually increases when patients are restrained. Now, the two most common reasons that I've run into of why a family caregiver would want to use restraints is typically to ensure safety or due to inconvenient behaviors, such as the person wanting to constantly be up and pacing around or wandering off, okay? However, restraints are often not the answer, honestly, and they can really just make matters worse. Now, I want to be sure to stay on topic because there are so many directions that this conversation could go and so many things that we could talk about. So I want to focus on the use of physical restraints at nighttime, especially for people living with dementia. Not only are they less likely to be supervised because others are sleeping, which puts them at increased risk for some of those things that I mentioned earlier, like entrapment, strangulation, suffocation, death, you know, but there can also be increased confusion at night that could cause the person to freak out and rightfully so, putting themselves at even more risks, okay? So let's think through a couple of scenarios. So, hmm, maybe you think that, okay, mom keeps getting out of bed at night and I'm afraid she's gonna fall, so let's put up the bed rails to make it harder for her to get out. Now, little do you know, your mom is kind of something like a ninja, and so she tries to climb over those bed rails. After all, she needs to get up and one, she either climbs over the bed rail and falls, or two, she ends up getting caught up in the bed rail, or three, she really ends up injuring herself because all she knows is she needs to get up, and however that has to happen, it's going to happen, okay? Now, another scenario could be with dad who keeps wandering at night, and you decide, okay, well, let's use a bed strap. That should keep him down. However, dad puts up a fight because he doesn't understand why you're trying to put this thing on him. So he's cursing you out. He's trying to hit you. Someone has to come and hold him down. I mean, it already just doesn't sound like a very good situation, but I've heard of it happening. But let's say that dad does initially agree to be strapped down. Maybe he even falls asleep like that, and he's dreaming, and everything so far is going really well. But then he wakes up, and he's confused, and a little bit of reality is mixed with whatever dream he had, 
and he realizes that he can't move, which causes him to freak out. So now he's screaming. If he's close enough, maybe he's banging on the wall. He's tugging at the belt. He's shaking the bed. It's just a mess, okay? And it's definitely a situation that we want to avoid, okay? And then, let's see, as a last example, maybe the infamous tightly tucked sheets. Now, some people can actually find this pretty comforting and relaxing to be kind of swaddled, you know, like a baby, how you, you know, wrap them up real tight. And so some people at first can find that really comforting, at least until it's not, at least until you want to or need to get up. Then it can make you feel really anxious and uncomfortable and <laughs> really close to losing your peace. I mean, just imagine waking up and wanting to get up, but oh wait, you can't because the sheets are too tight and you can't move and you don't really understand why. And now it feels like you can't breathe. And, you know, let's just try to avoid this scenario as well. Okay. So let's back up and talk about why your partner may have trouble sleeping or why they may need or want to get up in the middle of the night. So some of the reasons could include changes in the brain, which could cause disruption of the body's natural circadian rhythm, which is like our internal body clock. So a lot of people with dementia actually do have like sleeping disorders, diagnosable sleeping disorders. Also, some medications can cause restlessness or dream disturbances. And then dreams in general can cause a lot of confusion because there's kind of this mix-up between what happened in the dream and what happened in real life, okay? Light sources. So, for example, if there's like a street light that's like glaring through the window and it can be seen, that could be enough to throw someone off. Some people are very sensitive to light coming from like night lights or fans. I know for me, I had to cover up the light that's on my fan. It's this little green light. And I had to cover that up with tape because it was messing with my sleep. And if I turn the ion setting on, there's like a blue light that really disturbs my peace at night. And so I just keep the ion setting off because I don't have any more tape to cover it up. And it's the only thing I need the tape for. So... I just haven't bought anymore, you know, so I keep it off. Um, something else that could be why your partner is up at night is napping too much during the day or napping too late in the day, which can cause the person to become restless at night. Pain is another thing we have to keep in mind because if you're hurting, you have a really hard time falling asleep. So you want to make sure that your partner's pain is being managed. Having to go pee feeling hungry, things like that, okay? And there's so many other reasons. So our job is to try to figure out what is causing them to be unable to sleep or causing them to be restless or why they're needing to get up. Because once we figure out what is causing the nighttime activity, then we can better determine what our options for intervention are. So, of course, I recommend that you keep like a behavior log or a daily log so you can try to find patterns in your partner's behavior and what might be triggering them to be up at night. Now, above all else, what we want to do is make sure that the environment is safe. The goal should always be to create the least restrictive but safest environment. So there are many ways that you can do this, and it really just kind of depends on how your house or your apartment is set up. 
But number one, you can do this by making sure that clutter is off the floor and that the pathways are clear. You know, if there's any throw rugs on the floor that could cause your partner to trip, you want to get them up and out of the way. You want to make sure that any loose cords are tucked against the wall, they're out of the way. You want to make sure that any toxic, hazardous, or dangerous objects are away and locked up. You may consider installing things like cameras, concealed door locks, motion-activated nightlights that lead to like the bathroom or the kitchen. You may consider leaving the bathroom light on at night so that it's easier to find. Making sure that the bed is an appropriate height for your partner. Because I've seen some beds that I mean are ridiculously high. So you want to make sure that the bed is a good height and easy for your partner to get in and out of. Okay, and some people even consider just putting the mattress on the floor to decrease the likelihood of injury if the person does try to get out of bed and does fall. You can also consider things like bedside floor mats next to the bed. And I'm talking about the ones that look more like kitchen mats, if you know what I'm talking about. Not so much the ones that look like those fold-out gymnastic mats. I don't really like those because they can be a lot more unstable and they have like creases that can kind of throw off balance. So I much prefer the ones that look kind of like those kitchen rugs, mats, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, you may also consider like a wireless bed alarm, which is a little bit different because it makes a sound in your room or on your device, but it doesn't make any noise in the person's room. You know, those traditional bed alarms that like sound off in the person's room, those can be very startling really for anybody, but especially for a person living with dementia. You know, all you do is you get out of bed and then this alarm starts blaring and it can kind of be a little disorienting, right? So I would definitely recommend if you do go the bed alarm route that you do the wireless one that sounds on your stuff and not in their room, okay? Now let's say that the person is getting up at night because they have to go pee. Now, if they're getting up frequently at night to pee, and even during the day, they just always feel like they need to go, then you definitely want to rule out a urinary tract infection first, because maybe that's what's going on. But let's just say that they get up once or twice to go to the bathroom, and maybe they wear a brief, but they forget, and they just want to indulge in their normal habit of just using the bathroom. So one, you want to make sure that you start limiting fluids at least two hours before bedtime. So of course you want to make sure that they're getting plenty of fluids during the day, but you also want to make sure that they aren't drinking too much before bed because, I mean, realistically that's enough to make anyone need to get up and go pee and then maybe just not be able to fall back asleep. Two, you may want to consider implementing a toileting schedule and making sure that they pee right before bed. Again, you want to make sure that the environment's safe. You want to make sure that the bathroom's easy to locate by leaving the bathroom light on or putting the motion-activated nightlights that lead to the bathroom, okay? Um, and of course, if you are woken up by them being awake, then you can assist them to the bathroom and gently help them back to bed. If restlessness 
and confusion are the problem, then you want to make sure that they have a good routine with a balance of activity and rest because the more active the person is during the day, especially if they get some exposure to sunlight, then the better they tend to sleep at night. You also want to make sure that they aren't napping too late in the day, and you want to make sure that they have a good night routine that kind of winds them down. You don't want to go from this like high energy state to, oh, we'll look at the time. It's time for you to go to bed. I mean, that usually doesn't work. There needs to be kind of like this slow wind down to the day, okay? Now, if they still like to drink alcohol or they like their coffee or caffeinated drinks or like sugary foods, then you want to make sure that you stop the drinking or eating of these types of things about four to six hours before bed because they're stimulating, right? And so they can keep a person awake. You also want to avoid giving the person too large of a meal before bed as that can make it very hard to go to sleep as well, okay? Now, if waking up hungry is an issue, then maybe consider giving them like a light snack before bed. Or if they do have a tendency to wake up, maybe have something easily accessible and discoverable within sight that they can see it, grab it, eat it, and they may be content enough to head back to their room and go back to bed, okay? So the key though is that you have to first figure out what is leading to the nighttime waking and then you can better see how to address the concern. And again, I highly recommend keeping a behavior log or a daily log so that you can keep track of any patterns that you're beginning to notice so that you can determine what might be causing them to be up at night, okay? Now, a big question is, well, what should I do if the person wakes up? Well, number one, you definitely want to make sure that you aren't fussing at them about it because it likely won't do you much good and both of you will end up just being irritated with one another, okay? So you want to make sure that you comfort them and you address whatever may be the issue. So for example, if the person is hungry, you're going to have a much easier time helping them find something light to eat first then just trying to convince them that, okay, it's three in the morning and they just need to go back to sleep now. You know, most of us who wake up hungry, we can force ourselves back to sleep. However, this isn't typically the case for people living with dementia who act off impulses. If they feel hungry, the instinct is, okay, well, let me get up and find something to eat. So even if you were to put them back to bed, if they still feel hungry, they're likely going to get back up. You get what I'm saying? So it's a lot easier if you just address the fact that they're hungry, okay? In other scenarios, even if you're tired, you want to see if maybe just talking to them briefly with, you know, the lights still low or dimmed or singing to them or playing soft music or just laying with them for a bit would be enough to help them doze back off to sleep. The point is that you want to make sure that you address the concern for whatever reason they are up to begin with first, and then you can gently ease them back to bed because you will likely have much better success than trying to rationalize with them about the time and why they should still be asleep, and you'll likely get to bed much faster than if you 
go back and forth with them about why they should be sleeping, okay? Now, if your main concern is that they're going to fall, again, you want to try to make sure that the environment is as safe as possible while being the least restrictive. You know, we definitely don't want our first line of action to be physical, chemical, or psychological restraints. You have to remember that most behaviors are due to an unmet need, including being up late at night, okay? Now, if you've tried everything that you can possibly think of, and the lack of sleep is really beginning to affect your partner and take a toll on them, then you definitely want to speak with the doctor about what's going on and see if they have any medication recommendations. Hopefully they'll start low and slow as far as dosages with medications. Maybe even if it was just them recommending trying like melatonin or something first, right? But you definitely want to consult with the doctor and give them the whole breakdown of what's been going on and that will be really easy to do especially if you've been keeping a behavior log or a daily log and keeping track of the things that you've tried okay and if at all possible please 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 just leave the physical restraints alone again I say please okay Really, just put yourself in your partner's shoes and just imagine how scary and unfortunate that situation can be, especially at night, you know, where you wake up and you cannot move. That's scary. I don't know if that's scary for you guys, but just the thought of that alone kind of freaks me out, okay? So, by all means, if you feel like you have no other choice because you've just tried everything, please send us an email. Send me an email at podcast at whatthedementia.com or hello at letsbamboo.com and let's talk about it. You know, maybe I can help you come up with a different solution to whatever may be going on, okay? So as I always say, I hope that this podcast was interesting and informative and that you learned something of value. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of What the Dementia by Bamboo Care. We look forward to catching you on the next episode. Take care and until next time, stay strong, carry on, and remember, you are not alone. Bamboo Care is always here.